Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We welcome you. If you have friends who want to watch the show through streaming video, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. Go to the TV shows. They can just click on Watch the Show Live, and they can watch it from anywhere in the world. In-house guests, we have a whole bunch of them, but we've got the logging team back, looking good as usual. Gianni M., Brenda Yu, and the Elevation crew uh, who do such a fine job of helping us out. Shout-outs. I had an amazing flight today in from Southern California. It was insane turbulence for 30 minutes straight. At least 20, the stewardess said. At least 20 lost their lunch big time. Uh, I'm smiling because it was just turned into a comedy. There was a huge six foot three kid, about 20 years old, tall, dark, and handsome, walks up to the stewardess. I can't make it. And this passes out right there on the floor. Uh, a shout out to my seatmates, uh, Melissa, 33 years old, who turned green but did not throw up, and she was very proud of herself for that. And to 86 year old Dorothy, who lives in Salt Lake City and uh, is watching tonight, way to go. Dorothy laughed all the way through it right along with me. All right, a shout out to the Hewitt Small Group in Orem. They uh, are meeting tonight absent one very important member. A shout out to Bill Clemens and all the Christian girls from Colorado Christian University. God bless you, sisters. Get out there and, and do it. Brenda, an operation upcoming. A shout out to you. God bless you. And Hank, the Roberts and the Catlins. A shout out. Thank you for everything. The biggest church in Utah Valley, Christ Evangelical, has gotten so large and popular that they are moving to UVSC temporarily while they're building another church. They're going to be meeting in the Grand Ballroom on Sundays at 11. That's Pastor Scott McKinney's church, Christ Evangelical in Orem. And uh, I tell you, some, some good things are going on there. You want to go uh, learn about the Lord and uh, worship him and read his word, you want to show up to UVSC at 11 at the Grand Ballroom. Okay, this is important stuff. A Heart in the Church coming up April 16th, 7.30 p.m. in Logan. It's at the First Presbyterian Church on Center Street. If you live in that area, Logan, Brigham City, and you want to get together and have a heart in the church, ask questions, I'll speak. It'll be a great time. We invite you to come. Heart on the Sea deep sea fishing trip in August. If you're interested in that, email J-E-R-M underscore R-O-B germ underscore Rob at yahoo.com. Also, Truth Seekers. Uh, if you are uh, interested in meeting with a group of like-minded people who are looking for truth, looking to know the Lord, have a regenerative relationship, are LDS, we're LDS, going to continue to be LDS, you can go to Truth Seekers at um, Truth Seekers 3, Truth Seeker, no S, 333.com. All right, there was a DVD release on March 25th. DVD looked like this. It is titled Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith. And uh, we, I guess the 18,000 of these went out in Arizona and 15,000 of these came out in Utah alone. And uh, I've gotten a number of emails asking me what I think. Here's a couple clips from it. Some insights into what it's like. There's a lot of material on it. 
Uh, and the question to me is, what do you think? Will you support it? Will you not support it? Hey, I think that the video is going to do some good. It's going to reach some people. And I think the, the video or DVD is going to offend some people. And that's just what happens in these things. You know, you step out and some people are going to like it and some people aren't. I don't think that the people who did it were wrong and uh, I'm not against them. And uh, so whatever it is, people are trying. The question you might want to ask is why? Why are they going to such expense and time to reach out? Why would they produce this thing free and just give it out at doorsteps? I mean, maybe some of the content is objectionable. I object to a lot of content in, in different uh, methods, but you know, that's me. We all have different tastes. The question is why? And if you're LDS, ask yourself why? Is it because they're picking on you? Is it because they know something you don't? Maybe you ought to ask yourself those questions. Okay, a church recommendation, Ross Anderson's Wasatch Evangelical Free Church. Address is 4433 South 3100 West in Roy, Roy, Utah. And a great church. Ross does a great job. There's a lot going on there for youth and the people of Roy. And uh, the uh, worship starts at 930 on Sundays. Highly recommend Wasatch Evangelical Free. All right, after that's all said and done, let's have a word of prayer and go to the message. Dear Lord, pray that you will be with us tonight. Thank you for the rain. Uh, protect people, help our operators, help our camera people, uh, bless the people at home, and help me as I speak the things I've prepared, that I'll be able to get the importance of the message through. In Jesus' name, amen. People want to know repetitively why I'm doing what I do. I have a show where I, it's called The Infallible Word, and we talk about the Bible verse by verse and only the Bible. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because as a, an ex-Latter-day Saint, 40 years active in the church, I know, even having visited last week an LDS church, I know they do not teach Jesus Christ and a regenerative, regenerative relationship with Him. And so this year we've dedicated to church history. There's many of these things I really would prefer not to go through. They bore me. But I think that it's important for you to know the facts of church history so that if you decide to remain LDS and you truly believe you're a Christian, a born-again Christian, and you decide to remain LDS, fine. But you have to have all the facts. And that's why we're dedicating this time this year to church history. So we left off with Moroni in Joseph Smith's bedroom last week. Remember, it was the autumnal equinox. The date was September 21st, 22nd, 1823. Joseph Smith was 17 years old. Before we dive into an examination of the Book of Mormon itself, which I can't wait to do, we have to finish up Moroni's role in Joseph Smith's receiving and translating the Book of Mormon. There are some rare teachings I'm going to share with you tonight that the church readily admits. Take these teachings and ask yourself, does this sound like it is something in the way God works, or does this sound like the way man might work? From September 1823 to June 1829, Moroni would make repeated visits to Joseph Smith, his special student. In January of 1922, an article ran in the Ensign, Ensign, which is an LDS magazine, and it called Moroni Joseph Smith's tutor. Now remember, Moroni is an angel. It says, quote, It is impossible to determine the number of interviews Joseph had with Moroni, but 22 visits are often identified. 
As I have talked to LDS, my own family included, and asked them how many times did Moroni visit Joseph Smith before and after the golden plates were received, they all said two, three, four, five, six at the most. All right? We have at least 22. Working through Joseph Smith, the Lord brought about the translation and publication of the Book of Mormon in a remarkably short period of time, it says. As I said last week, six years is not a remarkably short amount of time for someone to have been talking about a record to the time that they produced a manuscript. Quote from the Church Magazine article, This was possible because the Lord prepared Joseph in his formative years for his role as a prophet to the Most High. To that end, the Lord had assigned Joseph a personal tutor named Moroni. Officially, the church supports Joseph Smith's claims that Moroni visited him repeatedly before, during, and after receiving the golden plates. Let's examine these visits, and I'm going to make some commentary. Now, understand on my commentary, it's my opinion. In this situation, I can't tell you if Moroni actually appeared to Joseph Smith or someone who called himself Moroni or an angel. I can't say one didn't, and I can't say that one did. All I can say is ask questions as to the way the story goes down relative to what the Bible teaches and to determine if this angel was necessarily good or bad. The first three visits we've talked about, that happened in Joseph Smith's bedroom and it was repeated three times in the same night. It's important to understand that in folklore magic, that three visits of a spirit were vital because when a spirit appeared three times, it let the magician or the folklore believer know that this vision was real and that the spirit was genuine. If it appeared twice or once, it wasn't right. But when it appeared three times, then it was a legitimate visit of a spirit. And this is ties right into the Book of Mormon uh, of Moroni coming to him. It says, quote, in church uh, article, he, meaning Moroni, told Joseph Smith of, of the Urim and Thummim, which had been prepared to help translate the Book of Mormon. Now, if you're a Bible reader, and if you understood the Bible back then, you know that the Urim and Thummim were called lights and, uh-oh, lights and intelligences, I think. And these were Hebrew words. And what they were were stones that were in a breastplate that the prophets would wear, okay? And on each stone was a name of the tribe of, one of the tribes of Israel. The Urim and Thummim is a strange thing in the Bible. We don't know exactly what it was. But what we do know is that the Urim and Thummim spoken of in Exodus 28.20 was not the Urim and Thummim that was supposed to be in the stone box with the gold plates that Joseph Smith could take out and he could look through them and translate. The Urim and Thummim to Joseph Smith was a stone, a seer stone that we've talked about in the past. And he could look in that stone and he could translate this gold plate record that he says he had. So... It says, going on, quote, Moroni also warned Joseph that when the time came to obtain the plates, that, that if he showed them to anyone not approved of the Lord, he would be destroyed. I've always wondered, why couldn't he show those plates to somebody? Why? What, what, would, what would the Lord's purpose be in him not being able to show the plates? And then later on, he showed them to three witnesses and then eight, and eight witnesses, which we're going to discuss at length that business, but why couldn't he show anybody? And why didn't the angel Moroni say to Joseph, you know what, Joseph? Don't tell anybody about these plates either. Because when you tell them, you're going to have persecution and troubles and trial and everything else. So in the wisdom of the Lord, why didn't the Lord have the angel say to Joseph, tell no one you have them? 
Instead, he tells everybody and he spends all kinds of time pretending he's got these plates he's dodging around with and they're always trying to find them. They can never find them. Why didn't the angels say, hey, Joseph, avoid problems? Don't tell anybody either. Think this stuff through, okay? So we have the fourth, fourth visit that occurs the next day. Joseph Smith wakes up or never goes to sleep. He's very tired. He goes out to work with his father and brother in the field, and they see he's very tired, and they say, go home and go to sleep. As he's going home, he says he comes to a fence. He's too tired. He can't climb it. He falls in the, in the grass, and the angel Moroni appears to him again. This is the fourth visit, and he says, Joseph, go tell your dad what happened. Joseph does what he said, and his dad says, I believe you. Go get the plates. So Joseph then treks to the uh, hill Cumorah, two or three miles away from his house. All right? I have a question that I don't know the answer to. If you know this, call us and tell us. I wonder if the hill Cumorah was named the hill Cumorah by the state of New York, or if Joseph Smith named the hill Cumorah the hill Cumorah. I'm just curious about that. By the way, the LDS Church owns the Hill Cumorah, and uh, I don't know when they purchased it or how they got it, but it's theirs, and you can't go and do any excavating in it. So I think that's important to know. The um, fifth visit, on the west side of the Hill Cumorah, near the top, Joseph located a large stone he was seeking. When he pried the stone lid away, he saw inside the box the sacred item spoken of by Moroni. Okay, so what's inside this box? Or where is this box? This was a stone box that was prepared by the ancient Nephites in the hill Cumorah. And in that stone box with a heavy stone lid over it were the golden plates. So Joseph says that the Moroni took the golden plates back into heaven so that we can live by faith. Fine. Where's the stone box? We have a hill Cumorah that's a very small geographical area relative to that community. Why can't we just see the, the stone box? You can go to Israel and you can see the paved roads. You can see the Parthenon. You can see these historical places. You can see Golgotha where they called it the place of, the, of uh, death. And you can see all these places as historical sites. Why can't we just see, just LDS Church, just let us see the stone box that Joseph pulled this from the earth. All right. We have no history that he destroyed it later. So I'm assuming that it would still be there. He tried, this is still quoting, he tried three times to take the plates out of the box, but suffered progressively stronger shocks that deprived him of much of his natural strength until he exclaimed in frustration, why can I not obtain this book? Now I want you to know, if you read Michael Quinn's Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, shocks from these spirits that lived in the earth to protect the treasure was very much part of folklore, magical folklore, that when you went to get their treasure, they had the power to shock you, all right? And Joseph Smith is reaching into the earth to get the gold plates, and he receives three shocks of greater and greater strength, and he finally cries out, how come I can't obtain the plates? And all of a sudden he hears, because you have not kept the commandments of the Lord. This uh, was the fifth time that Moroni had visited Joseph in a 24-hour period or less. He told Joseph to return one year later, and Moroni would meet him again at that spot. Now, why was one year important? Does the Lord say it's got to be one year to the day for you to do this thing? Does he operate in those ways? Maybe he does. If you can bring that up in the Bible, I might be mistaken. But this sounds more like another tie-in to magical practices. They had specific days. It had to be on the autumnal equinox when the heavens would speak to the inhabitants of the earth and tell them where uh, treasure was. And so uh, I think that it just points to more folklore in the uh, practices of Joseph Smith and the magic. 
Several secondhand accounts say that Joseph Smith was told by the angel Moroni that his brother Alvin had to accompany him to get the plates. And the problem was, is Alvin died unexpectedly. And so they were thrown into a big problem. There are several references, which I can't verify. They're secondary and tertiary sources. But there's several references that said that he said Alvin had to be with him. And Alvin ups and dies. I don't know why the Lord couldn't foresee that Alvin was going to die and why he would request that Alvin be there. But nevertheless, this is part of the story. So every year at the Hill Cumorah, instructions are given to Joseph Smith to prepare him for the restoration. On visit number six. When Joseph went back to Camorra on, on uh, the 22nd of September, one year later, he once again dislodged the stone and containing the plates. And while he was taking the plates out, he wondered to himself, is there any more treasures in that box? And he set the plates down and he looked in there and he looked back and the plates were gone. Okay, and he asked the Lord, why have you taken these from me? And Moroni appeared and reminded him that he had not done as he was commanded. Now, according to Joseph Smith's mom, she said that Joseph had been told in a former revelation by the angel Moroni, quote, not to lay the plates down or put them for a moment out of his hands until he got into the house and deposited them in a chest or trunk, having a good lock and key. This is getting really uh, amazing, isn't it? You know, the plates can disappear, they can reappear, they can do this. The angel Moroni, wait till you hear what he can do with the plates later. But Joseph has to put them in the house under lock and key so no one else can see them. Do you see this thing kind of like spiraling out of control when it comes to the ability to pull off the con? I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you. If Joseph Smith said, I received revelations and wrote the Book of Mormon, like Muhammad said, that the angel Gabriel came to him and gave him the Quran, I would respect it more. If Joseph Smith said, like the Jehovah's Witnesses said, that angels came and revealed things and that angels protect the Jehovah's Witness Church, I might believe it more. If, if Joseph had said, like Mary uh, Ellen G. White says of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that angels played a part in their receiving their revelations, I might. But this stuff, it continues to grow. You have to know, does this lead you to truth? All right? So Joseph Smith lays the, sets the plates down, looks back in the box, looks back and they're gone. And this is all part of the little demon guys who live and they're guardians of treasure and they can go. And if you don't protect your gold, they can steal it from you and they can move it through the earth. And you can see it in your seer stone in one place and you go to dig for it and they move it to another place. And so when you dig for it and it's gone, then you can say, ah, the guardian spirits got the gold and they moved it. And that's what he is telling you here in this thing. He set it on the earth. He looked back and it's gone. Why? Because when Joseph looked back, into that box, the plates had been put back there. And then the angel Moroni told him, you didn't, do the, you didn't take them out in the right process, therefore you can't have them again. Okay. When, he, when those golden plates were put back in the box, Joseph reached in and he went to grab them and he was hurled back, quote, uh, was hurled back upon the ground with great force. Again, we have this, this metaphysical thing of this power that's doing it. Whether it was true, I don't know. But this is what it's, it is said. Okay, so we find that Joseph says, and his mother reports, that he goes back home. This is after the third year, and he's very disappointed, and he's crying and weeping, and he's embarrassed to go before his family who are waiting to see the plates. Now, I have a question for you. If you had seen God the Father and Jesus Christ in a first vision, if you have seen an angel of God at least six times whose brightness and glory defy that of the Son, 
which is how he described it. Would you be afraid of what your family thought when you went back and told them that you couldn't get the plates for another year because you had just done it wrong that time? I, I know that that's one of the signs of someone who's come to know the Lord. They're not afraid of man. They're not afraid of anything because they have been changed by God. Would you come back in fear if you've had these real experiences of what your family would say? I don't think so. Again, these are my thoughts. In 1825 and 1826, verses 7 and 8 happen. And uh, I believe that during these four years of waiting to get the plates, Joseph was writing an outline. I believe he was preparing his notes for what the Book of Mormon would be. I believe he was pulling from these sources that I'm, we're going to start getting into next week. He was pulling from uh, republicanism of the time. He was pulling from themes that occurred in 19th century. He was pulling from Solomon Spaulding's books. He was pulling from the... the uh, 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 what B.H. Roberts talked about. He pulled from the Bible. He pulled from all kinds of sources. And I believe that during that span where he was saying, I can't get the plates, I can't get the plates, he was working on a rough outline. And I also believe he was working on a set of plates. His dad was a cooper, someone who worked with tin. They did it out in their uh, garage, so to speak. It wasn't a garage, but their farm or whatever. And, they, and I'm, I'm sure they came up with a mock set so that they could heft them around. People could see them or feel them if they were really good friends or touch them. But I don't believe they were golden plates. I think they were a mock, mock set. Here's one of the great things in visits 7 and 8. Joseph had not received the plates yet. Understand this. And Lucy Max Smith, his mother, writes, listen to this. During our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of warfare, and also their religious worship. This he would do with as much ease, seemingly, as if he had spent his whole life with them. This is before he ever received the golden plates. Okay, I know that when I tried for years to write scripts for Hollywood and submitted them to large studios, that as I was going through those, I would tell the stories to people I knew and see what their reactions would be to the scripts. I would tell the things as I was developing it in my mind to see how they would react and if it would be something I should keep. Joseph Smith told his parents and his family, gather around the fire at night and tell them the stories about the ancient Nephites and describe everything about them. And he hadn't even gotten the plates yet. How? History of the church tells us in 4, 537 that Joseph saw other celestial beings while he, between 1823 and 1827. Ivan J. Barrett, a religious professor at BYU, wrote that, Joseph, quote, Joseph was visited by a host of people from the Book of Mormon while translating the plates, including Nephi, Alma, Mormon, and the 12 disciples Jesus chose during his visit to the Americas. Okay, so this is like saying, what would you say, what would you think if I said J.K. Rowling, when she wrote the Harry Potter series, had Harry Potter and all the characters come and visit her as spirits and tell her about what world she was writing of? What would you think of her? First, would you believe the story? You might say, never. Or you might say, possible, but what kind of spirits were these? This is exactly what they're saying here. In 1832, 34, 35, and 38, there seems to be a revision of what Joseph said, and the folklore magic elements of Moroni's visits to him were starting to be taken out, and they were starting to give us a more pure version of what uh, was acceptable to tell. Visit 19, Joseph meets... Uh, 
the Moroni on the Hill Cumorah, and the Moroni tells him it's time to get the plates. And then on visit 10, excuse me, visit 9, then on visit 10, on September 22nd, the autumnal equinox again, uh, the angel uh, gives Joseph the plates. It had been four years. Uh, Joseph was now 22 years old. Uh, what was he and his father, who once taught English, what were they doing? during that, that four-year period of time. We know that Joseph got married. We know that he lost a brother to an unexpected death during those years. And I propose that, and I may be wrong, that that was when he was working on the outline. So that when he could uh, put the stone in the hat to translate, he could take that outline, and he knew what the outline was good enough, and he could get and study it, and then he could go and he could just give you, what, fill in the blanks of what should happen therein. Additional visitations of Moroni occurred after Joseph said he received the plates. We know that uh, jo uh, when he was translating the plates, he lost part of them because Martin Harris, the guy who was helping him translate, gave them to his wife. Moroni took the Urim and Thummim away from Joseph so he couldn't translate for about a month, gave them back to him, and then he could retranslate again. There's a whole bunch of uh, other um, appearances of the angel Moroni to Joseph, uh, for the witnesses, which we're going to talk about after, the, after we talk about the construction of the Book of Mormon. And that ends with Moroni taking the plates back into heaven and disappearing once and for all uh, with the gold plates and with no evidences of um, what the Book of Mormon says uh, around it. That concludes the angel Moroni's supposed uh, contributions to the gold plates. Let's go to the phones at 1-801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. While the operators are getting calls and taking um, messages, I want to report on last week, we had uh, several problems come up from what we talked about. And uh, we had them both from the Christian side and we had them from the LDS side. The Christian side were mad at me because I said the Bible does have its problems. And I received several emails saying, what problems? What problems does the Bible have? So let me say this. When you say the Bible is inerrant, you're talking about the original manuscripts that came from the writers of the Bible. That's, what, that's where the word inerrancy applies to. When you say the word Bible today, I have to ask you, well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the King James Version? Are you talking about the Vulgate? Are you talking about Wycliffe? Are you talking about Tyndale? Are you talking about the New American Standard? Are you talking about the uh, NIV? How about the Paraphrase Bible? So when you say the Bible doesn't have problems, the first question I ask is, what Bible are you speaking of? Okay. And then the second thing you have to ask is, what language are you speaking of? Are we talking about Tagalog? Are we talking about Vietnamese? Are we talking about English? Or what are we talking about? here in the language. So you would have to be, and it does not help you as a Christian, to say every single Bible is inerrant without any type of grammatical problems. That's just not correct. They have problems. The question is, do those problems lead to you not being able to trust your salvation to it? And that, I believe, is not the issue whatsoever. 2 Timothy 3.15 says this, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so it says that the holy scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. 
All right. So I believe that the Bible, I have a show that's called the infallible word. I don't believe the Bible will fail you. I believe the Bible is sufficient to give you everything you need for salvation. I believe every Bible is able to, the spirit can work through you and it is your read and search. So don't get mad when I say there's some problems with it. The problems are very, very small, very small, and they usually don't amount to anything that's significant at all. It's usually like the, a date, possibly, and possibly the name of somebody or the spelling. It doesn't have to do with the essentials of salvation, who Jesus was, grace, none of that. Okay, so don't be offended when I say that. I'm just trying to keep it as honest as I can so we can have dialogue. Uh, I'm going to go to a call. I won't address the LDS complaint unless we have some time. We're going to David from Salt Lake City. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. David? Yeah. Yeah, you have to turn your TV off. It's off. Okay, you're on the air. Okay, well, uh, I, first of all, I have to apologize because I haven't watched any of your program tonight, but I just put the TV on and I, chant, and I uh, flipped through a few channels and I saw you s sitting there with your... Uh, Black clothes? Your, new, your newfound beard, which I haven't noticed until now. It's been Are you envious? Watched you. So uh, is this a new thing or what? Uh, I'm, I'm wearing the beard. I explained this last week because um, it's, we're doing church history, and I'm really excited for the time when we get to Brigham Young where I can shave the mustache off and just have the Brigham Young part. And then I'm going to shave it all off on December 31st of this year. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, I, you know, I actually have a goatee, but... Uh-oh. Uh Are you LDS? No, well, just, just define LDS, because I, I was LDS ever since the time I was five years old. And, uh, you know, I kind of went, did, did the whole mission thing like you and temple marriage. Yeah. Unfortunately, my marriage didn't last like yours has. Yeah. No, I, I've changed my ways kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, however, you know, in, in my life, I guess I'm not as respectable of a person as you. My my ex-wife chose not to stay with me. Oh no, my 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 wife is uh, just a saint. I am not more respectable, believe me. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I have been on your website, and I have noticed that uh, you know you seem to have a, real, a really nice family, and and uh, things have seemed to been you've been able to keep things together in that way, and I really admire that, and I was wondering, I don't know if you've ever commented on that in your show or if you would um, would like to comment on that. Yeah. Um, it, it isn't me. Um, my wife, uh, like I said, is a saint. She had to face a lot of garbage with me in our life. I think most wives do. Sorry, guys. But I think, you know, we are pretty rough to start with. And uh, But she had to face an exorbitant amount. You can imagine just sitting there looking at me, you know, the, the trials with me. But... She saw me change as a man, literally. I don't say that, but it's because the Lord changed me, not because of anything I did. He literally changed me so much that she had to say something's better, something's different. And my kids, my three daughters, the same thing. I just became a better guy because I came to know the Lord and that He saved me. And it just changed me so much that um, it just bettered our life completely. And that's, that's how our family stayed together. My wife had every reason in the world to leave me, my kids to disown me, but they saw the change that the Lord did in my life, and so therefore uh, we've been able to keep it together. What happened in between that time? 
Oh, it was hell to pay for, 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 it was difficult, you know. You can't make a transition like that out of one religion and uh, into a relationship without it being difficult, especially when your wife is uncertain that this is going to stick. So you have to, you know, it takes a lot of uh, prayer and a lot of trusting in the Lord, and He's the one who, who, who can make it happen if the participants are willing, you know. Hey, well, there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. I, I, I read a little bit of your book, and it, it was talked about Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And hmm. I started reading that book, and it was very interesting to me, and I wanted you to comment on it. I love Robert Persig's writings. I think Zen, uh, the Phaedrus character, was really interesting, and I, I really um, uh, related well to uh, the whole thing. But Persig is really a dead guy in his heart, man. And when he wrote Dahlia and all the others, I just didn't get it. But anyway, sorry, audience. Anyway, long story short, David, I liked him as an author uh, back in the day, and I learned some things from him. Okay. What was your subject tonight? Subject was Moroni. Okay. Well, the only thing I remember about Moroni is, is like, uh, there was a, he's up on the temple, of course, in Salt Lake Temple was probably the first place, but there was a guy, Kimball comes to mind, uh, Jay Golden Kimball, and they yeah. talked about how they asked him, you know, that uh, like in the second coming, Moroni's going to blow his horn, and he said, no, if he does that, then the pigeons will shit all over the east side of the temple, and he didn't think that was going to happen. Do we have to put the delay back in? David, that was a good, it was a good one. I understand Jay Colton Kimball had, had that kind of mouth, but on the air, we got to watch it, buddy. Hey, thanks for the call. We're going to move on. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. No Jay Golden Kimball quotes. For those of you who don't know, Jay Golden Kimball was LDS who had a foul mouth, and, and LDS loved to quote him because it gives them the license to, to swear. All right. Uh, we're going to Beth, a first-time caller from Alpine. Beth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Beth? Hi. Hi. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, Sean? Hi. I just wanted to comment. I... Um used to live near you in Huntington Beach. My family, we weren't members of the church, of the LDS church, and you uh, visited with us several times and, and tried to um, inspire us, and we have since converted to the LDS church, and our family is so happy. Wow. And I've just noticed on your show, I saw you on there, and I caught your eye, and I just wanted to tell you that the spirit and the glow has gone from you that oh, you had when love you met this you in Huntington Beach. You had a spirit about you. You were happy. Your family was happy. Yeah. And I don't see that anymore. It's all I do is see you talking doctrinal, trying to pick apart different Beth, issues that you have. Beth, and, Beth. And I really don't see the spirit that you had then. And Beth, I just wanted to make that comment that can I, I can see that you've lost this. Can I ask your last, own. can I ask how I knew you, Beth, before you say all that? Um, yeah, we, we lived um, near you and we weren't members of the when church. When you say near me, give me a street. Pardon me? Give me a street. We lived off of Bouchard and Adams. And, and was your family a part member? No, we weren't. none of us were members. And I came and visited you? Why? I think we were friends. Our kids were friends. Our kids were friends? Yeah, your daughters, Cassidy, and a couple of your daughters. Well, you know my family, then. You could have gotten and, that from the rest. Uh, your last felt, name. You had such a spirit about you, and you said to me once um, that dark places... The spirit can't dwell in dark places, and so that's why bars are always dark. And I wondered why do you wear dark clothes every show. Uh, it's because 
Oh man, I'm getting it tonight, aren't I? Clothes are bad. I wear black all the time, but I just how come you wear black? Look out in my mind. Why do you wear black all the time? Cause no, because it, ma- it makes you look thinner, doesn't it? You've lost the spirit. You used to have a glow. You knew the scripture. Okay, Beth. 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 You got to let me talk. Beth, can you let me yeah. talk for a second? Because you've you've hit, you've thrown a lot of things out here. I want to say something. Okay. Happiness is circumstantial. Jesus promised that when you follow him, you are going to have trial and difficulty. Happiness is based on circumstance. Okay. Uh, if I now let me, fi- let me let me finish this. Let me finish this. Beth, let me finish this. Beth. Beth. Beth, let me finish. Okay, I have to not, you know, let me finish. You want to hang up. Beth? Yes. Oh, well, I just hung up on her and I. Listen, let me say this. I have learned that um, there is a great deal of looking at um, countenance and searching uh, countenance. I don't think there's anything wrong with that unless too much is put on that. Happiness, uh, there's a reason that part of Utah is called Happy Valley. When you're in a circumstance where everything is going in a certain way and you belong to a certain group, I don't care what it is, you're going to have happiness. But do you have joy? I expect to have great difficulty and sorrows and persecutions as a Christian. I don't expect to have that as a Latter-day Saint. I expect to have uh, a, a, a camaraderie that will bring a certain amount of happiness. But when you understand these concepts, and if someone wants to write me, I'll explain them to you at length. There is a great difference between the sorrow and difficulty of being a Christian and the happiness that comes with belonging to a church that offers you another gospel. That's the best way I can summarize it. And, uh, but I still think I have a glow, and I still think I'm happy. So don't be so mean. Beth, you've gotten meaner. You need to be nice. I don't even know who you are. Okay, let's go to um, Lou, which is my mom's name, from Provo on the line two. Lou, first time caller. Okay. Hello? Hi, Lou. You have to uh, hang up the phone. I mean, hang up the, the TV. Hello? You have to, uh, did you turn off the TV? Yes, I have. All right, that flight's gotten to me. All right, go ahead, Lou. Okay, I want to say you still got a glow. <laughs> I think you got a glow. Anyway, you were talking earlier about how Hillcomore got its name. Yeah. It seems like I heard someplace in church history that it was named after a hill in South America. Um, well, who named it was my question. Was it the state of New York or was it the Mormon church and Joseph Smith that got it around to somehow it being called the Hill Cumorah? Well, I think it was because they were, they, they, the church named it because of a, church, of a hill uh, named that in South America. Yeah. Uh, I remember my church teachings. So I wonder what the hill was originally named in Joseph Smith's time. I don't know. You know, because I've read, and when we get into names of the Book of Mormon, it's going to be interesting because there was a Comoros Islands whose capital was Moroni, and, oh. which is very interesting. That was on a map in Joseph Smith's time. But I want to see, uh, I'm trying to find out what that hill was called before the Mormons took it over and named it Comora. Uh, oh, I don't know. But and I wanted to ask you, too, you were talking about the Urim and Thummim. I yeah. heard once, too, that Joseph Smith looked in a hat. Oh, he did, okay. yeah. So was it the Urim and Thummim or was it the hat? No, the Urim, what they call the Urim and Thummim was a stone and it was put in a hat and he looked into the hat. So you're right about that. 
Okay. Yeah. All right, another thing, uh, you were talking about the Bible. Yeah. The Mormons believe that it's, it's true as far as it's translated correctly. Well, which parts aren't translated right. correctly? That's a really good question to ask them. And tell them to take those parts out, and then they'll just talk about the other parts. Well, yes, but I never, I never did know which was true and which wasn't. They, they can't tell you. So it's a really terrible thing to say, you know. Oh, it is. Well, anyway, I just wanted to tell you, you still look, have a glow about you. Well, <laughs> I think it's from the sweat on my forehead, but I'll take whatever's working right now. Okay, bye. Thanks, bye-bye. All right, we're going to Tyson, first-time caller from Nampa, Idaho. Tyson, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Good, Tyson. How are you? Good, good. Um, I have, uh, you know, I just, um, I was just watching a program uh, about uh, where you are uh, um, asking a question of people that, uh, um, if they know the Book of Mormon is true and and if and uh, or if it's false. Remember that episode, Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, all I wanted to do is tell you and the other audience or the other people that are watching on the show um, is that if you really want to know, really truly want to know if the Book of Mormon is true, is to pray and ask God. Because He knows all everything. He's the one source of truth. Okay. I know it's true because I prayed and asked God. Okay. And I know the Book of Mormon is true. I know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. That's... And those... Uh, Gold plates, um, ancient writings are true. Okay. He did translate them. Okay. Okay. I, I hear all your I knows, I knows, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does God tell other people things are true that are not Mormon? Um, God is the source of all truth. So does he tell Muslims that the Quran is true? Um, no, I don't. I don't really know about that. You know, okay, I know the Quran is, is, you know, writings. Does he tell the Jehovah's Witnesses that the New World Translation is true? Does he tell the, does he tell the, uh, uh, the Baha'i Barith? Does he tell the Jews? I mean, tell me, where is truth from God? When, when there's other people of other faiths that say, I know this is true, God tells me. When a woman says, I know I should marry this man, God has told me, and he turns out to be a horrible person. When someone says, God has told me my child's going to live and the child dies. You tell me, what are you talking about when you say you know? What is this knowledge thing you're speaking of? Well, I know through the feelings that I've received. The feelings you've received? And how do they feel? I feel good about you feel the good. That, I've, that I've learned and studied about okay. and taught. Were you raised in the church? Yeah, I was. Okay. And then, so, so did you, wait, did you grow up singing songs and, and hearing things from a child and from your parents' mouth and from all your friends that said these things are true? Did you bear testimony? Did you constantly have reaffirming experiences that said they're true, they're true, they're true, and now when you decide they're true, it makes you feel good? Is that possible? Uh, because there's a point the, where the, I had to find out for myself if it was true. It's impossible for you to find out for yourself when you've been indoctrinated to the extent that you have. This is the problem. The problem is the Bible is in conflict with what you say is true. This is the bottom line problem. And it doesn't matter what you say or how it makes you feel or, or glow. You cannot say something is true if it goes against God's word. And here is the problem. So we have a show called Knowing 
and you can look it up on the, uh, on the internet and you can watch that. And I talk about epistemology and how knowledge works in the scripture and how it doesn't work. And you're applying it in the very wrong way, my brother. I got to let you go. We got more callers. I, well, I just know it's true. And... <laughs> and, you, and you feel it and on we go. All right, man. Thanks. We're going to Ron, first time caller on line two. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Fine. Hey, great show. Look, Thanks. I'm just uh, curious about what's your Bible, what Bible you use, and what particular uh, company makes yours. I mean, it's just a huge it is. Bible. I was curious about it, all. You know why? It's so big as it has really wide margins. And when I teach in a normal setting, I write in those margins. I keep it up here in case I need it, but I put my notes on top of it. And it's a King James Version, just like what uh, any LDS. And it's, the, um, it's a really good Bible. I highly recommend it because of its notes. Uh, and it's the uh, Thompson Chain Reference Bible of the, new, of the King James Version. Oh, okay. So if it's the Thompson with wide margins, that explains its size. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I have a Thompson. I went to the uh, Schofield wide margin version a while ago, and it's big enough. Yours looks so huge. I was just curious. Yeah. But, hey, that, Schof- yeah, that, that okay, Schofield that, is a good Bible. Yeah, it's a good one you have there. Well, I, just, uh, I was curious. I'll, I'll let you get back to business. Soon. All right, you take care. Thanks for calling. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to a first-time caller from Arizona, Sabin. You're on Heart of the Matter. Sabin? Yes? You're on the air. Hello? I scared Sabin. All right, we're going to Sandra on line four. Sandra, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You're on the air. Right now? Yep. Okay. Sean? Yes. Um, My question is, I did a study on Joseph's first vision, and there are several things that aren't scriptural, of course, but but the thing that I wanted to mention, since the program tonight was about uh, Moroni. Yes. That is Mor- my question is, is Moroni the angel the same Moroni that's the son of Mormon? Yes. It's the same one? Yes. So, in other words, um, when you die, you become an angel. Is that, is that Mormon doctrine? That's Mormon doctrine, yes. Okay. Which is not scriptural. No. Okay. That's, that's, my, that's my point when I did this whole study. This is just one of the things that's not scriptural. But, um, but to me, that would make the whole vision uh, untrue, right. a false vision, yeah. because, because people, when they die, do not become angels. Right. And that's... Just like angels don't become people or men, men do not become angels. Exactly. And if people take their Bibles out and they just do a simple word search, word study on angels, you'll see that they are, we've talked about them before, they're a different category of creation, just like raccoons are raccoons, fish are fish, angels are angels. Right. And, and, And they are a creation that help God in the heavens. Exactly. Yeah, and there's many attributes to them and everything else, but this this fairy tale notion that when we die, we become these angels that come back is, you're right, absolutely not true. That's right. Excellent point. Okay, so so to me, the the the, the first vision is a moot point. I mean, because you can go into other aspects, like for instance, seeing God the Father. If you look in the Bible, God is a spirit, and no one has seen God at any time. Right. So that alone 
that also disclaims the vision. But what they say in response to your arguments are that the Bible can't be trusted because corrupt men crept oh. in and changed it. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have the full knowledge of what the Bible could teach you about angels and about seeing God. Okay, so the Bible is not their reference. Uh, the Bible is so far as it's translated correctly, but modern day revelation, in addition to their extra biblical books of canon, are what they turn to more. Okay. Yeah. Well, my, my conclusion of the whole thing is a false vision produces a false prophet, which produces a false book, which produces a false religion. Yeah, amen. It's a great point. And you know, if we turn, in fact, I'm going uh, uh, to let you listen to this as I uh, hang up the phone. Thank you so much for your call. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. We can tie in a simple verse from Galatians that helps us understand the context. We have Brennan, a first-time caller. I'm going to get to him in a second. Galatians 1.6. Paul is speaking. He writes to the Galatians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, except there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel mean? What does that word mean? It means good news of Christ. What's the good news? You're saved by grace. You believe on him. He saves you. And it says in verse eight, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which has been preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than what you have received, let him be accursed. All right, let's go to Brennan, first time caller on line two. Brennan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, this is, uh, this is Brennan. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. Uh, had breakfast the other day. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. How's it going? I'm well. How's, how's everything going? <laughs> it's going well now that we are. <laughs> Good show tonight, brother. Thanks, man. Hey, I just wanted to call in quick and uh, bury you my testimony that evolution is true. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, my goodness. You are well, killing look, hey, My point is this, uh, and I don't know if you want to respond to it or not, but how can you, and I know you've studied the idea of science and evolution, how can you just overlook that? and go back to Christianity, and I'll take your response off the air. All right, man. Thanks for calling. Let's wait you in a week or two. All right. That sounds good. Bye-bye. Brother. Uh, I think that evolution, I'm sorry, is just a farce. And, and after reading and studying it as best as I could, I'm really not really good in science, so I have to admit that. But after, when I step out onto the seashore at night and I see the stars... And I realized that if, uh, just little facts, that if you got into a jet plane at one end of the Milky Way and traveled to the other end of the Milky Way, it would take you a hundred billion years to get there. And that's just the Milky Way. When I see God's handiwork in nature, it, just like Romans says, and like Hebrews 5.3 says, and like Psalm says, I am, I am uh, in awe of this creator who manages and put this thing together. Evolution is a theory. Evolution is, frankly, a lie. I hate to go down this road, but I, I just saw it the other day. Dahmer, they interviewed Dahmer, Stone, uh, whatever that Stone, Phillips guy interviewed him. And he said uh, he bought into evolution big time, and he thought, 
hey man, if I'm just a product of some circumstantial thing, what do I have to worry about? And he, and then Dahmer came to realize it's just a big lie. And I really, I'll talk to you more depth about evolution. And uh, I think that nature itself will tell you that it's a lie. But we can talk about more of that later. Good question. I like your sense of humor. Although I think you were kind of serious. All right, let's go to Saul. First time caller from Salt Lake City. And he's going to give us some enlightenment on the Urim and Thummim. He's Jewish. Saul. Yeah. You're on the air, brother. Hey, what's going on, brother? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Nice. Is this Sean? Yeah. Hey, man. All right. Here's the deal. Right. <laughs> you, you were talking about those two seer stones called the Urim and Thummim? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever done any research and looked at, like, a Hebrew dictionary? Well, I have, but it was kind of mandatory in my, I'm not a linguist, but go ahead, tell us, teach us. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, I want you to go to a Hebrew dictionary Okay. and look up the word Urim and Thummim. Okay, what does it say? It says, they're, <laughs> well, I can tell you what they are. They're two seer stones, and the Jewish people use them to decipher who was going to war against them. Oh, yeah. And they also use them to see if they should hide the sacred object in Jerusalem or fight. Huh. They disappeared somewhere around 580 B.C., somewhere around that timeline. I'm not sure the actual year. Uh-huh. Um, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Well, I stand corrected on them being the stones in the breastplate. What were those? Do you know? Well, those, were, those are the same stones. Oh, okay. They came out of the breastplate of Aaron. There were yeah. 12 stones. Right. Ten of them uh, represent the uh, ten tribes. I'm not sure which ten tribes exactly. Uh-huh. And uh, the other two, uh, see, I haven't been to church for so long. Go know? back. I just like, it, it's crazy. But, but the deal is, is those two seer stones are real. Huh. That's they're, uh, not, they're not stones like you think. Yeah, they're stones. They talk. They actually they talk about them in the Bible. Yeah, they call them the Urim and Thummim. Yeah, the 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 major difference though is that what Joseph Smith described of them being these stones set in bows like glasses, uh -huh. that they were not the Urim and Thummim of the Bible. They didn't somehow make it from their disappearance into these this gold plate box, and that what really was the called the Urim and Thummim for Joseph Smith was a seer stone placed in a hat. And so, but I didn't know my, uh, my facts as well on the Hebrew, and so I'm really glad you called in and clarified their origins and what they were used for. They came out of the breastplate of King Aaron. Yeah. And actually, I've read the Book of Mormon as well. Yeah. Well, you have to call back and tell us what you think. We're going to move on. Saul, great call. Thank you so much. Your brother. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Jody, first-time caller on line three. Jody, you're in Heart of the Matter. Jody? Hi. You're on the air. Oh, hi. I had to turn off the TV. You do. I just wanted to say, um, first of all, that I watch all the time. We've talked before. I wanted to thank you for the advice when my sister died and express my sorrow for you with Micah. And um, to also let you know that I, I was Mormon and now I'm not. And I have heard also, like you have, people say, well, you don't seem happy. You lost the glow, things like that. Yeah. And what I noticed is that uh, happiness isn't really, um, it's like you said, it's, it's kind of an illusion. I, when I was deluded, I was happier, I guess. But right. what I have now is confidence in the Lord, that he's not a trickster. He's not trying to <laughs> trick us into, you know, like Adam and Eve and the sin. And Anyway, yeah. he doesn't try to manipulate us with 
tricks and I don't can you explain what it is I'm sure you know what it is I'm trying to say I, I do but it's tough to it's tough to really uh, explain in a short period of time but well, I know what you're saying and I'm glad you called because other people who have found the Lord after having been LDS know the difference between the joy that you have in him and the difficulty and the happiness you have from uh, walking around thinking that uh, you belong to a special group called, where you call yourselves brothers and sisters, all your needs are cared for, all your answers are provided for you, and you don't have to think anymore. I guess that could be called a state yep, of happiness to some. Yeah. You know. Great call. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you. We'll talk to you later. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. You know what, Ray? Um, I, I, we have another call, but I got to tell you, Ray, call back next week because we only have one minute left. And uh, there's some things I want to remind the uh, audience of. Remember, we have a heart in the church in Logan on April 16th. That's a Monday night at 730 at First Presbyterian on Center Street. Uh, we would love for all of you in that area to come, whether you're believers in um, in uh, Moroni or non-believers in anything or Christian, whatever it is, show up and let's have a conversation and a dialogue. If you're interested in going on the fishing trip, you can go to J-E-R-M underscore Rob at yahoo.com. If you have questions and want to find out more about the ministry, www.bornagainmormon.com. And I just want you to know that the Bible teaches us very clearly what we can rely on and what we can't. We don't have angels like uh, Islam, like the Jehovah's Witness, like Mary uh, or uh, Ellen G. White, like Joseph Smith, revealing to us a new gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, we have him, we can believe in him, and he will lead us back, or he will lead us to the Father, um, unquestionably so. So, praise God, we'll see you all next week on this channel on Heart of the Matter, and you can watch the Infallible Word on Monday nights at 9.30.